Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. England's opening World Cup match is now just a matter of hours away with the three lines set to face Iran in the Group B match at the Khalifa International Stadium. There are still plenty of unresolved issues for Gareth Southgate to solve in his squad ahead of the opener with questions over form and fitness on a number of individuals in his squad. Joining Anita Abiyomi and me, Peter Stoughton, to discuss everything England ahead of the opening game are John Cross, the Chief Football Writer for the Mirror, and Andy Dunn, the Chief Sports Writer for the Mirror. Welcome, one and all. John, I want to come to you first. Um, how has your uh, acclimatization process been uh, in Qatar so far this week? Yeah, it's been interesting, really. Arrived on Tuesday and um, really kind of got to grips with with things by um, the, the whole setup, really by, by Wednesday. Listen, I've been here a few times to, to, to the country, so I kind of knew what to expect. And I guess the difference this time was we're just about to start the biggest football tournament in, in the world, the World Cup. And I have to say, so far, I don't really feel as if, you know, it's in any way caught and gripped this country yet. Normally, you arrive at the airport, you you know, the the whole place is completely flooded with football mania. Um, And yes, you've got billboards in the streets and what have you. But honestly, I can say that. I've not seen a single football fan yet. It's just crazy. It's, you know, and I'm not, you know, not suggesting for a moment that there aren't about because in the central areas um, where we're not quite staying there, um, you know, I do think it's busy and I think there's lots of fan activity and what have you. But honestly, the the streets where we are, it's just not really being gripped yet. So it's a tournament that desperately, desperately needs the football to start. I think it's been well organised. Obviously, we've had so much controversy, and, and rightly so. You know, there's so many questions still to be answered. But amid all of that controversy, we really need the football to start, and it can't come soon enough for the Qatar World Cup. Andy, you're uh, not far away from John. You're, you're just along in the uh, in the media centre there as well. Um, does it feel like that for you too, that this is a tournament that really needs to catch light? Yeah, spot on. Absolutely spot on. I was only talking that, about that, that to John um, earlier today. Um, every tournament, you know, in the build-up to every tournament, um, there comes a time when you just need a football to start, but this one more than any. And ironically, you know, we've been here since um, Tuesday. Now, normally, we would have a build-up to a World Cup that lasts... Well, it's probably a month, really. You know, three weeks. You know, there'd be a there'd be a pre-tournament um, trip for uh, for England and the other nations. You know, a pre-tournament camp. Then you'd have you know a good two weeks leading up to a tournament. So you'd have a three or four week build-up. This is only you know in essence a five six day build-up. Yet it actually feels longer than those three or four week build-ups. It really does, and that it's because everyone you know has been um, talking about the issues, the off the field issues that again 
John says quite rightly, I've, I've dominated this sort of news agenda in this World Cup. And I think the Qataris themselves, you know, they really need this tournament to start. They somehow need, you know, they need Lionel Messi to light up the tournament early on. They need good games. They need their host team to have a good game on Sunday in the, uh, in the World Cup opener. They just need football to actually become centre stage, if it can become centre stage. You know, and, 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 that, and that's the big question, whether or not football will take centre stage. But it has to, for this World Cup, to be deemed anything like a success. So, yeah, to that extent. Also, I mean, don't forget, a lot of nations, you know, England play on, on Monday, Wales play on Monday. But nations, some nations don't start their campaign until the middle or the end of next week. So their fans won't have arrived either. And also, this idea that, you know, we're used to, John says, you know, with the, street, the fans on the streets. Well, it will, there will be fans on the streets, but there will not be the same sort of, you know, um, carnival atmosphere that you find um, at other World Cup tournaments. Do you kind of think that that could affect England's kind of performance, especially because you, you obviously on the streets is, is different to being in the stadium. But in the stadium, you kind of need that rowdiness. You need that kind of carnival atmosphere to for them to be your twelfth man. And Andy, do you, do you think that can kind of affect England going going into this? Not just England, any any other nation. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the atmosphere is is like. I mean, for example, for Monday's game should be interesting. You know, Iranian fans, you know, can create a great atmosphere. Um, and clearly, you know, there will be a lot of Iranian fans who travel um, to Qatar. It's not that inconvenient to get here from uh, from Iran. And I think they will create a great atmosphere. Um, and I think that it doesn't matter which set of fans is creating an atmosphere, that will help, help it along. But listen... These are experienced players, you know, whatever the atmosphere. I think what you're going to find is the stadiums will be will be fantastic. Um, the playing surface will be great. The temperatures, while it has been, um, I mean, everyone knows it's hot in Qatar, but it has been a little bit unseasonably warm. You know, England have been training in, in temperatures, you know, 31, 32, 33 degrees. But that shouldn't be much of an issue because they play at four o'clock local time on Monday. Um, and, it, and it goes dark here, sort of around about half past four, four thirty, um, quarter five, and then of course they play the other two games at ten o'clock local time here, ten p.m. local time. So that shouldn't be a problem either. So no, the answer to your question is, I, I don't think we can know what the atmosphere is going to be like, but they will be packed stadiums, and you know, it, it, England players and every other player from every other country, you know, I don't think we'll need. Um, an incredibly raucous atmosphere to get themselves motivated for, you know, still remains the the biggest occasions of their careers. John, uh, if you don't mind, I want to come to you um, maybe just to do uh, some, some chat about the opposition. We'll talk a little bit about Iran. Um, I just wondered, had you spoken to any of of, uh, your Iranian media colleagues about how the team is being portrayed um, in Qatar? Obviously there's been some difficult questions to to the players and to the coach about what's been going on back home in terms of the protests. Um, What's the the overall atmosphere around the the Iranian team right now? And and does that lead to maybe a little bit of, I don't know what the right word would be, uh, disturbance uh, around the squad squad, uh, at the World Cup in Qatar? Yeah, look, that, that's definitely been the accusation, hasn't it? I mean, my colleague David McDonald went to the Iranian uh, training base last um, last week, last Thursday, um, to do a piece and spoke to spoke to players who, who were fundamentally, you know, accusing England of, of whipping up something of a storm almost to destabilise the Iranian campaign. Now, if you speak to Iranian journalists, and I spoke to one earlier, actually, um, 
you, you kind of get a different sense. You get a sense of uh, a group of journalists who have been frustrated, many of which have, have been denied access to, to the tournament to go um, and cover the tournament themselves. And they will say that the players are firmly behind the sort of the very public national protest within the country, but are just clearly not allowed to say so on the on this particular stage um and they're in support of kind of the the, the, the push and, and and sort of uh, calls for change within the country it's a country at, in in a melting pot at the moment and basically maybe they, they see this this tournament as an opportunity to kind of you know sort of raise their their profile and and um and get a point across but you certainly won't get that from within the Iranian training camp, because all accounts, you know, they've had certain media days this this week where they've invited the media in, but there've been literally no Iranian journalists there at <laughs> all because they've been allowed, uh, sorry, um, not been allowed access. Um, you know, th- there's anger amongst the Iranian journalists because in in Iran, basically, there's been so much talk about the LGBTQ community here and um, diversity, which is absolutely correct, of course, and and spot on. And it's great that that's, you know, that there's been a backlash about about that here and, 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 and you know, sort of rights for um, that, that particular community. But their point is, well, hang on a minute, in Iran, women are not allowed to attend football matches. So, you know, where is... Where is is that kind of argument, and where where is the focus on that? And their disappointment, I think, is with you know other nations that, that basically the focus isn't on why you know women are not allowed to attend football matches, and there's there's such a political backdrop to to this game, and it will be interesting to see. I think that you know I think the players are have been wound up by it. I think they're determined to kind of, you know, I think that that kind of backdrop will 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 inspire them, will drive them on, and I think that basically that that you know uh, that will be their the biggest talking point. I think more than more than the sort of game. Listen, we shouldn't dismiss them as being also runs in the tournament. We really shouldn't, you know, because I think that basically um, that that you know look at their world ranking. They've got an experienced coach. Um, in, in Quiros, and basically, we shouldn't dismiss them as, as as easy pickings. We really shouldn't. I think they're better than most people will give them credit for. And I think actually, I think the Iranians will think, well, actually, we fancy ourselves perhaps to be a bit more of a, a menace in this group, perhaps even more so than than England's um, sort of you know next opponents, which were the United States. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, um, just in terms of uh, how Iran have been preparing for this, I mean, I think about the the United States, the women's national team, when they won the World Cup in in 2019, and they made it very, very clear that they weren't representing the regime, as it were, a lot of them very, very opposed to the policies of of Donald Trump within that squad. Um, And it seems almost the same with Iran for this one, where they're representing the country, if not outrightly representing the regime. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think that, that's a point that they're, you know, listen, they might not say that publicly, but I think there's so much pressure and push for change within that country. Listen, I, I, I do sometimes feel as if we become self-righteous in, in, you know, as, as in England and basically preach about how people should act and should behave and the rights and wrongs. And, and this World Cup itself has been sort of shrouded in controversy from day one about the treatment of migrant workers, about the, uh, you know, LGBT community. And, and fundamentally, it's illegal to be gay in this country. And, and frankly, if you're pushing for diversity, that's not a good place to start. And it's, it's completely wrong. And so, you know, equally, the treatment of Iranian you know, female fans is, is just absolutely wrong. But, you know, we come from a place where I think we've got to be alive and aware of pe- of how people view us and the way that we treat people. Because honestly, I couldn't, I can't stress enough, the, the, the average person, you know, the, the staff, for example, within our apartments, it's their culture and it's, it's, it's also indeed the Muslim culture to be so welcoming, to be so friendly. We shouldn't mix that up with the wider issues um, at play here. So there's so many different dynamics, um, you know, at work and surrounding this tournament. And I don't think we should be so patronising and so dismissive that we can't see that there's different dynamics in each and every single argument. I'm totally with you on that, John. I think that was very sad. But I just just feel like sometimes when I look at the whole situation, right, I just feel like, wow, being here in England and being able to kind of express free and um, free rights and human rights and stuff like that, I take that for privilege. I take that as a privilege because I look in Qatar and I'm thinking there's so many things there that I could just literally go there and say what I want to say in my mind, but it's disrespecting their cultures, disrespecting who they are and what they believe in. So it's so controversial in many ways. And I kind of want to shed a, a positive light on it, especially with England, because Last night, I saw a video of them playing or in a run-up to their first game, but they were playing with Harvey Grant. Andy, I'll come to you. It, it just seemed like a very good gesture from the England players in, in the run-up to what could be the, what is going to be their first game of, uh, of the World Cup. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, you know, it caused a little bit of controversy. I mean, l- l- let's be honest about that. It, 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 was, it was actually a FIFA-organised event. Um, for them to, um, um, to you know, to, to, to have a little knockabout with the migrant workers. It was nice, and I'm sure those migrant workers were delighted to do it. However, you know, when it was clearly awkward when journalists, as, as they should have done, asked them about the conditions they worked under and the accusations, and, and you know, and then, it, and then it began to feel, you know, basically like a sort of manufactured event from, from FIFA. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, what I would have liked to see is, as a, listen, the England players have always been good like that, and the FA has been good like that in terms of England are aware of their social responsibilities. I think that much has been clear. It's obviously a very awkward situation for them. But, you know, I'm sure you'll see some more of that during the tournament, um, um, that, that, type of, that type of thing. What I would like to, to have seen is rather than, you know, um, some hand-picked migrant workers having, having a knockabout with, with England, you know, I would have liked to have seen many, many more. I mean, one, initially treated better in the first place, but many, many more, you know, being given access to these games, you know, actually getting into the grounds, going in and watching these games, because I suspect that's not going to be the case. Well, in fact, I almost know it's not going to be the case. You know, we read all about, and we see here, me, me and John will see the the, the, the the hospitality, you know, that will happen in stadiums and at venues 
and the you know incredible um, sort of amount of money that goes into that. Well, you know, it might have been nice on this occasion, considering everything that's gone on around this tournament, to actually say, you know what, we're going to scale back on that, and we're actually going to put those resources that we get from that into getting more of these people inside stadiums. That's what I would have liked to see. But yes, in answer to your question, you know, England players are aware. You know, they're in a very awkward situation. You know, they they they, they are they are aware of the issues. I'm sure they have views on the issues. But of course, they are, as they say, it sounds, it, it always sounds quite trite when they come out with it. But they're here now and they're here to try and win um, the biggest football tournaments, you know, in their lives. I think it's easy to look upon um, England's group as a whole and say England really should get through that because, yes, they have to beat Iran. Um, United States, I think, statistically have their, have the youngest squad at the tournament. Yeah. Wales, I would argue, have an ageing squad now and maybe the sort of kind of the the Ramsey Bale era is is here for one last hurrah and basically England are expected to, to, to beat them. And so if you put, you know, the three together, most England fans will say, well, you know, should cruise through that group. And yet actually, if you analyse it statistically, it's the hardest group in the tournament. Now you go really, but it's true, and it was at the draw um, because basically, if you if you basically put their world rankings together, that's the hard, hardest group. And actually, the last set of world rankings released by FIFA before the tournament, again, if you analyse that, it's the hardest group. It remains the hardest group statistically, and so I, it's just a word of warning and a, a and a word of caution about about this group. I also think that Quiros has something to prove, frankly. I think that I don't know quite how he's viewed um, by Man United fans. I would argue that it's a bit mixed. You know, there, there was a, you know, there was a, there was a coach that basically came along and, you know, and, and sort of tried to, uh, try to make a difference. And I think that, you know, I, th- I think there's a bit of a mixed view, but people are familiar with him and, and I think he'll, he'll be out to prove a point as well. So, I, I just think that you underestimate this game at your peril, and I think that that's the that's the issue, and that's the that's the danger for England. Definitely, uh, I think it's a it's a, it's a perilous group uh, yeah. for England with the local derby elements uh, against Wales. Obviously, the United States are an emerging team, putting a team together really for twenty twenty six, and not doing a bad job of it. And obviously, uh, Iran. Um, I think they're the top top ranked team from from Asia within this tournament uh, inside the world's top twenty. Uh, some players playing in some of Europe's top top leagues as well. Um, and I think, yeah, anybody who's expecting e- England to steamroller this group might be in for um, in for a rude awakening uh, come Monday. Um, we can move on and talk a little bit about England. Uh, what's been happening uh, over the last week or so, um, Andy? If I, if you don't mind, I might come to you on this one. Yeah. Um, I guess you've been down at some of the sessions, um, spoken to some people in and around uh, the squad, in and around uh, the travelling party. What impressions are you getting from from the England camp heading into this first game? Is are there is there a bit of trepidation, nerves, excitement, uh, fear? What are we thinking here, Andy? No, I, I I don't think there's any of those at all. Um, I mean, it, obviously nerves they would excitement. not excitement, no excitement. Uh, I was about to I only heard the trepidation bit. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Then listen, there's what, 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 remember this squad is an experienced squad in terms of tournament football. You know, I think it's 21 of the 26 have experienced this before. 
So they, so, so you know, they're not going into, you know, the, the players such as, for example, it's funny we spoke to James Madison just, just, just there actually, um, uh, behind me when I'm sat. Um, and he was, you know, incredibly excited. I mean, absolutely unbelievable enthusiasm, more so than players who've done it before. You know, and he was talking excitedly about he'd gone, he'd opened his hotel room, and, and he walks into his room, and there's what what the FA have done is without him knowing, they've gone to his relatives and friends, and they've got memorabilia, they've got photos of his family, of his his, his young boy. And they framed them and put them all around the room, you know, to make it. And he, and he just couldn't believe it. He, he thought this was like, you know, what, what the most surprising, nicest thing that could possibly happen. Well, those players who were in 2018 and uh, in Russia, it wouldn't have been any surprise to them because they did it then, you know. And, and that's the sort of thing they're used to what you need to be. But you not get too excited, not get too hyped up. You know, you're there to do a job. You're there to get the best out of yourself. So... What I find, what I find is that there's a calm about them. That's what I'm trying to say. There's a calm about so so many of the squad, because and also don't forget, it, it is slightly different in it. They a lot of them have only, well, most all of them have only just um, broke, have played Premier League games less than a week ago. Some of them, you know, were playing on Sunday. So, Peter, the the impression I get is of a team that, and a squad that, that pretty much knows how to go about approaching tournament football. A coach who certainly knows how to do it because he's done it twice and he's been extremely successful twice. So, in a way, everything sort of famous last words has sort of run pretty much to pretty much like clockwork, essentially. Um, obviously, the difference is that I suspect they all know what the team's going to be because you know you haven't got the players also really haven't got the chance to actually significantly impress or disappoint the manager because they're doing sessions. They've done two sessions today um, at 12.30, yesterday at 12.30. And they had a light session on Tuesday at sort of um, six o'clock-ish because they'd only um, arrived. uh, No, sorry, on Wednesday because they'd only arrived the previous evening. But they've had two sessions at 12.30 when it's been boiling hot, you know, and they they, they can't have done anything. We saw 15 minutes of it, both of them. But even after that, they can't have done anything overly exerting um, in, in, in that time. So, again, I think they know what the team's going to be. I think they know how they're going to play. And so the answer, I'm sure they're excited. Um, sorry about that. Um, but I'm sure they're not fearful. I'm sure there's no trepidation. I'm sure they're excited. But they're very businesslike. Oh, and by the way, just a quick, just a quick one. Yeah. On Iran as well, just if any listeners would... Um, like to know more. We do have the mirror. Does have a man, as as John mentioned, Dave McDonald. I mean, who's who's at the Iran camp as we speak as well, and has been following their training. So, if anyone wants to find him on social media, he's been telling us all about it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice. Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
you heard it here first, listeners. Make sure you go look him up and you go yeah. find him. And let's see what we're in for on, on Monday. John, coming to you, Andy mentioned James Madison being there and the information being fed back to people like me, social media heads, right, is that there's a possibility that James Madison could be injured. And it, it does scare me a little bit, but then I do ask myself, was James Madison ever going to get the minutes to begin with? But that's just a little shady from me. But just coming to you, John, it doesn't look like there's an injury scare with James Madison. Is there any reports that he could be injured for the first game? Yeah, look, I, I do think having missed at least two sessions this week and probably, as they say in football, managing, having to manage his workload on other occasions, I, 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 you know, it's clearly an issue there for, for Madison. I think you're right, Anita. I think that basically, is he going to be front and centre? Is he going to start? You know, I don't think so. And I think that basically maybe it was touch and go and there must be concern and, and a doubt, you know, over his availability for the Iran game. But I think moving forward, I really hope that he can recover over. It's a knee injury that he's brought with him from Leicester, basically. And so that's the issue. And I think they're basically, they, they were aware of it. They still picked him, they still brought him. So to that end, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he'll be, you know, available at some stage. I see his role from the bench, basically. Let's hope he, he, he can do that. But I think if England are chasing a game or they need a goal, I think Madison could, could have an impact. And I tell you what, the other aspect is, and Andy touched on this before, was about the heat. And I do think that even though England's first game is their only game at four o'clock, the other ones are later. I think that the heat and the sort of the balmy temperatures, you know, I think that basically you're going to see some fatigue um, during games. And I think the substitutions and the timing of the substitutions will never be as important potentially simply because of those conditions. Now, Gareth Southgate, I think that, you know, in recent times has taken some, some criticism about not reading the game and, and making those substitutions. So I think it'll be a test for a coach to be able to, you know, spot a game, spot a weakness, spot a flow, and then make a positive change. And, and hopefully Madison is in that mix because I, for one, I'm sure others will agree that, He's an exciting player. He's the informed player. Love to see him get minutes in this World Cup. John, I, I just want to continue with you here for a second. Um, it seems, you know, every time we talk about, you know, maybe players coming into the team, uh, Anita mentioned there, she doesn't expect Madison to get minutes, for example. Everybody seems to be resigned almost that Southgate's already got this team picked and you could probably, I'm sure all four of us could get within 10 names of what, what team he's going to pick on Monday. Um, does that mean that we could be seeing players with genuine injury concerns starting the match? Like I'm talking about Calvin Phillips and and Kyle Walker specifically. No, I don't think we'll see Kyle Walker on Monday. He's pretty much ruled himself out. Um, so I don't think that. But I tell you what, I do think that Kyle Walker, if he can get himself anywhere near fit, will probably get minutes within the group. And then I think if England are further deep into the tournament, there's no doubt in my mind that Walker when fully fit, when available, is one of the first names on the team sheet. But he's the first names in the team sheet on the right of a back three for me because it's his power of recovery, it's his pace, it's his reading of the game that allows him to sweep up and get behind and basically make you know make up for any mistakes because England's, let's be honest, defence is, is their Achilles heel. So I think that his, his role could yet be important, although there's no chance he'll start the first game. But Calvin Phillips, he's obviously back to fitness, but he's not 
I don't think anywhere near match fit or match sharp yet. I think he'll have a role to play and Southgate loves him. We know that. I mean, he's, he's a real box-to-box, you know, energy midfield player. But I'd be so surprised if it's not Rice and Bellingham that start the first game on Monday in the in the sort of kind of central hub of that midfield. I think Phillips might get minutes and might get a start, but his preparation for this tournament has been far from ideal. And I just think that his lack of game time at City, his lack of minutes because of his recent shoulder injury will dictate that perhaps he's, you know, further down the pecking order rather than an absolute must pick as he has been in the past. And and he may well get back to that again, but I think Bellingham has given them a whole new dimension, a whole new threat and it's a wonderful problem to have that one yeah I, w- I wanted just to ask I, I might take Andy in on this one actually yeah, just yeah. just to um to expand the the Bellingham conversation it looks like England have a genuine maybe Ballon d'Or winner in wait in waiting here w- with Bellingham mm-hmm. obviously he got minutes at the at the Euros when he was very very young uh, and now after it probably being England's best player in the recent Nations League campaign yeah. um he looks like he's heading into the into the World Cup potentially as as first choice centre midfield player. What what has his integration been like around around uh, the World Cup picture this week? Well, strangely enough, I I've just walked past him um, about ten minutes ago. He was just at, sat, sat outside with uh, Trent Alexander Arnold, and he was just chilling out and just chatting to a few um, a couple of the stewards, the security guys here. I mean, he's an incredibly listen. It looks like on and up. We know on the pitch. We absolutely know on the pitch. He's an incredibly mature. 19 year old and he comes across as that off the pitch I mean not I mean future Ballon d'Or winner well we wait and see on that he's certainly one thing and that's a future England captain absolutely make no mistake about that he is a future England captain whether he's next off the rank I'm not sure quite possibly you know Harry Kane will have the role probably for another um, certainly another two years at least um, and he could be it's interesting though it's interesting and, and he, listen, he, he just looks totally and utterly at ease within the camp and all the players will talk to you about how you know how how this teenager came into a teenager came into this squad and it can be you can imagine it can be quite an intimidating sort of um intimidating in a soft way environment to come into all of a sudden you're a teenager and you're coming in and you know and you're seeing these world stars like like harry kane sort of around the place but they all say that he's just exactly the same he's as mature off the pitch as he is on it and he would be crucial. What I would say, just one caveat to the whole Jude Bellingham discussion, is that yes, he has emerged as, you know, he was England's, um, you know, probably brightest um, sort of brightest spot in that Nations League campaign. But let's remember that you know they didn't win a game. You know, I mean, it, it, it's you know, yeah. While we all rave about the idea of Rice and Bellingham, um, I can't remember how many games, how many minutes he got. But the fact is, is that he's he, he was he's part of an England team that that has not won in six matches now. Um, you know, so I would just at the moment not go overboard about that. But clearly, he he will be you know a, a, a crucial player. If and it's up to Southgate, it's up to Gareth Southgate to actually get the best out of him. What we, what we want to see is Jude Bellingham causing problems for the opposition. We don't want to see him too deep because you know we've got Declan Rice for that. You want to see Jude Bellingham getting into the box. Getting in some positions where he can play that that killer ball, which he does for Dortmund, and we want to see that with England. Let him off the leash. Let him off the yes. leash. I'm desperate to see this player at this tournament. I'm absolutely convinced of his abilities. I think he's dominating games in the Champions League week in, week out against the very best in the world on that stage. 
And therefore, he is ready, no matter his age or lack of experience. Seeing him walk, I saw him at close hand, to, you know, the other day, and basically just walk through. And basically, he's a giant in every sense. I think he's got a presence. He's got a, a lovely swagger. He's got a style and a determination. He's got game intelligence. He is the complete package. I absolutely love him. And I think if there's one thing that I want to take away from this tournament, it's that England have established a their midfield general for the next 10 years because he's a superstar in the making. He's He's... The player. There's so much fuss about Madison. In a way, I feel like it shouldn't be about Madison. It should be about Bellingham. He's the superstar. It's it's fascinating. Um, you know, they've. It's like he's been dropped from the heavens into this England squad. Um, I just wanted to make that point, Andy. You mm. mentioned something very interesting there, where they're having one in six competitive matches uh, throughout the Nations League campaign. Mm. Um, does this feel like? Sorry, John. I might come to you on this one. Does this feel like you know the end of? Nations League chapter and the beginning of a World Cup chapter or is there a sense that this is a team in poor form headed into a tournament you know or does it feel like they've had that clean break and now they can maybe re-establish themselves and turn over a new leaf no you have to you have to you have to change it I think you have to change the narrative and then basically you know move away from it and I think the the, the point for England is whether they're able to do that whether they're able to leave the negativity behind they were conceding goals in the summer. Their, their defence was really weak. It was their Achilles heel. But it wasn't just that. They were struggling to score. They went for so long without goals. And they basically they weren't creating chances either. So there was an issue at the back. There was an issue with creativity and in the midfield. And it was just so negative. It left us, you know, saying, is Gareth Southgate on, on his way out? And I do think that I feel as if Gareth Southgate, this will be his, his last stand in the tournament. And I think that's partly because of the Nations League results. And I think that basically the challenge now for this squad and for this group of players is to leave that behind and say, hang on a minute, let's get back to the team that reached the semi-finals of the World Cup in 2018. And then went one better and reached the final of the Euros last year. Now, any team that has reached those sort of stages of the last two major tournaments should be among the, the, the major favourites to win the World Cup. I just don't feel at the moment England are in that, you know, elite group of teams that I would argue is France, Brazil, Argentina. Um, and I think they're just slightly, you know, in the second tier of nations, if you like, that could maybe win the World Cup. And I think England... They won't lack belief. You can sense that the players still believe in, in, in it and they still believe in the manager. But I think sometimes you need to convince everybody so that the whole nation buys into it and the whole nation believes and gets behind it and feels and fuels that momentum. So I think that that's the challenge. And I think to do that, you have to start well and you have to start impressively and you have to start smoothly with, with polished performances and not just sneaking results, but actually delivering a performance which will really change the mood music. Like you said, maybe if we let Bellingham off the leash, you might see that. You might see some pretty exciting football. And I guess we, we Peter, you mentioned earlier that, you know, we'd probably all be able to name 10 players that will probably start for Iran um, on the Southgate. And for our listeners, we actually just have to do this. I mean, we have to do a predicted exit before we do go off to play Iran on the 
on a Monday. So, Peter, I'll start with you. And judging by the way we've all sold Jude Bellingham, I'm guessing he's first on the team sheet for you. Well, there's two different ways of looking at it. Because, yes, if I was picking the team, I would put Jude Bellingham first pick. But although I'm not as close to the situation as John is there out in Qatar, I just have a sneaking suspicion he's going to play Calvin Phillips if he can. Because I just think that Southgate is very much set in his ways. John and, doesn't look happy with that. And he ignores he, he tends he tends to block out the block out the noise from elsewhere and go with what he you know he won't be swayed. We saw that at the Euros, you know, for the for the for the Germany game. I remember that, that second round game when you know there was a collective almost oh my god when Southgate named the team. But then again, England got over the line in that particular match, and it didn't matter by by the end of the game because you know job was done. And I think that Southgate has that you know by hook or by crook, whether you think it's a blessing or a curse, he's got that capability of just saying, actually, I don't really care about external pressure. I'm going to pick the men that I believe and I've always believed uh, deserve to start. And that's why I just have a sneaking suspicious suspicion that if he's anyway fit, that I think Phillips will play because he, tr- he trusts him and he's been there and seen it and done it in the Euros for him already. Now, I think, it, you know, my expertise is not really uh, to the fore here. I think it's, 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 it's more for John and John and Andy. So you're running away from the question. Peter. You're running away from it. Well, yeah. Well, let's say, okay. So I think we can all agree that Pickford's going to play, even though yes. if it was my choice, yeah. I, I probably, yeah. I would pick Nick Pope, but we think, we think Pickford's going to play. <laughs> and then, then guys, we're going to look at it. It's going to be a back five. We think. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone's nodding in approval. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, yes, it is. We, 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 it will be back five. Or, back, or five. back five, or whatever you want to call it. You know, I mean, essentially against Iran. When you go, it, it will, it will morph into you know a three four three. Yeah, three, whichever yeah. you look. And then, so we're looking at wide right. I don't think there's any doubt that Karen Trippi is going to get the shirt there. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the the two and right and left. I mean the, those two. I mean let's do the three. Let's do the three. Uh, the back three first. Um, Maguire and Stones are are and nailed on. Nailed, nailed on. Um, um, ben White. And then and you're going Ben White. Um, I think myself and John were probably in agreements. We're probably in agreements on the whole team. Actually, so that's not going to make for good uh, arguments, <laughs> is it? But I think I think Ben White. I like the idea of Ben White. But if you're asking who. I would go for would be Ben White, who Gareth Southgate will go for. I think will be Eric Dyer. Interesting. So Dyer, Stones, Maguire. Yeah, John, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I think yeah. I mean, it's two definitely two ways of looking at it. I I do think that you know your own team is going to be different from the team that you think Gareth Southgate is going to pick. Here's one to throw into the mix, and I was just scribbling away what I think my team would be, and I'm not England manager. Thankfully, um, but then you know, I, I, I hate the back three formation. I know it's done really and served England well, but I still view it as a negative, um, uh, sort of uh, defensive approach, and I don't like that. So, I'd always go 4 2 3 1, and I would go, um, Pickford, Trippier, Stones, Maguire, Shaw, Rice, Bellingham in as the midfield two, and then the three, um, really behind. I'd have to go Saka, Foden, Sterling, um, and then Kane up top. And, I, you know, it's very, very, very attacking, obviously, and would <laughs> give the defence no protection. No, I think the midfield too would. But, I, you know, and but look, I think Southgate will go completely yeah. different. We know he's going to go three. It's, it's almost a pointless exercise, really. It's fantasy football stuff, really. But I think that he will go 
you know, as we were alluded to, Pickford, um, Stones at right centre half, um, Dyer, Maguire, Trippier on the right, Shaw on the left, left, Rice, Bellingham, and then the front three, if you like, Sterling, um, uh, Foden, Kane. Um, you know, I, listen, Sterling. Sterling is always worth a, a mention, frankly, because he hasn't done well for, for, for Chelsea since he's been at Chelsea. Um, he struggled for form. And and yet, when you put an England shirt on him, I think he, he's just been, you know, absolutely um, sensational. He never lets his country down, rather like Pickford. And I just think that it, it, since, say, around 2018, he's just single-mindedly said, right... I'm going to be England's main man. I'm going to be such an important player. He was England's best player, let's not forget, um, at the Euros last year. And I think that international form and performances is worth something. And I think that basically that, that you know, if you stick with them, despite, you know, through thick and thin, that earns loyalty and trust. And Sterling really deserves his place in that team for me. I think just, Peter, just, just, just um, on, on the team, you know, it, it's fascinating. As I say, we, we, we're so hot. We, we almost know what Southgate, you said yourself, would probably get 10 of the 11. The Sterling debate's an interesting one, but let, we, we assume, well, we pretty much know that he'll play Sterling Kane. The third member of that attacking three, I think, is the interesting one as well. John Same. said there, Phil Foden. Now, you know, there's, a, there's an argument for Saka. Um, obviously, Jack Grealish, I mean, he won't start. Grealish, we know that. But does Phil Foden, we we spoke to Phil Foden in here, in the media centre here in, in, in um, Al-Wakra, the district is called, um, earlier this week. And he was he was so, I don't know, you, obviously, it's, you take for granted that they're up for it. But he is so determined. You know, it's his first World Cup. He hasn't kicked the ball in a World Cup yet. He's won a World Cup with the under-17s. Um, two players actually here have won it with the World Cup under 17s because we had Conor Gallagher in here earlier and he was part of that um, that team that won uh, against Spain in 2019 oh 2017 no, yeah 2017 would have been wouldn't it um, but that's the interesting one for me um, if we assume he's going to play that three which we do Kane Sterling and who else there I think he'll I think he will go Foden but there's an argument for him not to start there are we, we're still kind of waiting for Phil Foden's, I, I, maybe I'm way off here, but waiting for his international career to, to sort of truly catch yeah. light. I know yeah. he's, he scored in maybe, I think it was his first one or two matches, he, he scored two goals and he's not scored since in something like 20 caps since then. Is, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Am I, am I way off here? No, no, you're, you're not way off at all. Absolutely spot on. And, you, and you're right, he scored two goals in one match against Iceland. So he scored two against Iceland um, and that's it, hasn't scored since. Um he hit the post, didn't he? Against it was he hit the post against in in, in the Euros, um, one of the games anyway. But and then of course his international career. Don't forget he had that sort of freak injury during the Euros. So and I, I missed the game, missed the final. Obviously, he was talking about that how he how he's like you know I mean at club level now we accept Phil Foden to be one of the elite players in club football. But we mentioned to him about you know people say he's world class, and then he said, well hang on a minute, you know you look at the players around. This World Cup, the names, you know, the, the Mbappes of this world, the Neymars, the Messi's, the Ronaldo's, the Lewandowski's. And he said, you know, don't dare even mention me in the same breath because I haven't done it yet, you know, internationally and on a world stage. And that is what he's chomping at the bit to do. But it was a very good point to that. And exactly right. His, his, his international career, his England career, I mean, he's only 
he's 22, you know, so he's so, so he's still a relatively um, young player. But considering what he's done for Manchester City, I think you're right. We're waiting for him to sort of take this England team by the scruff of its neck and provide goals and assists that he does for Manchester City now on a very regular basis. Yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic for City this season as yeah. well. Um, great scoring record, getting into so many dangerous positions. Yeah. Um, maybe you've been utilised in, in a slightly different way by by Guardiola than, yeah. than Southgate, who obviously has the benefit mm-hmm. of, of coaching him, you know, sort of five times a week yeah. as opposed to Southgate, who only gets to coach him five times a year. Yeah. I was I was thinking, um, John, I'll come to you because you said Foden really confidently, but do you not think that maybe coming off of his Euros kind of performances, Bakayo Saka will probably warrant a start there ahead of Phil Foden. Well, not just that, just not that, not just that, Anita, but I do think that, you know, it's easy to forget, isn't it? That basically he's England's player of the year. And, you know, listen, for what it's worth, that is always a strange one for me, that because it's, it's, you know, what is England's player of the year? How do you sort of kind of quantify it? Because it, you know, it's basically player of the season for a club level is obvious. And then basically player of the year, international level is, you know, circumvented, you know, sort of couple of tournaments or period of time or whatever. But I think there's been a temptation in the past, even, you know, I'm thinking back to the Nations League Italy game, when you're just trying to shoehorn him into the team a bit. Um, and I feel I felt a bit sorry for him in that game because he was played, I don't know whether you remember, at left wing back. And then basically, <laughs> I've been funny, but that channel that he operated on with the Harry Maguire was just a nightmare for England. And he, he had a bit of a stinker and he looked tired. He, you know, it's been a really gruelling couple of years for him. Um, and he's been sensational for Arsenal this season as they've gone top of the league. And, I, I, you know, I felt for him on that night. And then fast forward, what, three days? He comes on against Germany and completely changes the game. He's so dynamic. He's so exciting. He's so, you know, he's so exciting. But I do feel as if, you know, I do think that Foden's got the jump on him at the moment. I think that, you know, I think a lot of people will point to saying, actually, maybe you should change it and put Saka in ahead of Sterling. But as I go back to, I do think that Southgate has some trusted players. And I think Sterling is one of those. But, I, you know, if Saka misses out, he will be the unlucky one. Make no mistake about that. But I don't want to see him shoehorned into left wing back, for example. It's not not fair on him. You know, give him, he, he, you know, the position that he deserves and a place in the team in his own right. And I think that's the toughest call. You know, I agree with everything that's been said previously. I do think that that basically, you know, it's Foden or Saka. And then basically, you know, Foden has to sort of kind of grasp the opportunity as much as Saka really on this one. God forbid, but if anything happens to Luke Shaw, we might just have to see Kaya <laughs> Sako in that left wing back role. And it's funny, no music. other option. It's actually quite sad knowing that that yeah. could be a possibility. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no other option. And I think that's right because, uh, you know, people immediately say Trippier. Well, I don't think so because Trippier, then, you know, you've got to use him at right wing back as things stand because you've lost other players. And so, you know, I mean, it's pretty... Trent in there, mate. Oh, well, don't, don't. Let, let's don't don't start there. That's yeah, another can of worms. That's well, a whole new show. We had this discussion <laughs> um, um, rather late last night, yeah. So it is a whole new show, but uh, yeah. But he could do it. He, he could, well, anyway, we'll, we'll come to that, Eddie. Trip here over at left wing back if Shaw gets injured and, and Trent rampaging up that right, pal. Um, I think the only thing that that leaves us with, um, mm-hmm. gents and Anita as well, of course, um, is is predictions. Uh, how you think this group is going to look after the first match day? So obviously we've got uh, England, Iran, and the United States against Wales. Um, 
home nations, of course, will be hoping that they can be in the first, occupy the first two slots, um, set them up nicely for for qualification. But after the first match day, John, how do you expect this group to look? So I think England will win, but I think it will be really nervous. I think it will be a really people forget. Andy referred to this earlier in the in in, in the show, but basically <laughs> people forget that England only just beat Tunisia in 2018. They squeezed through thanks to Harry Kane's like when everyone forgets at that amid the sort of kind of glorious, wonderful memories and thinks it was all, you know, a wonderful journey, basically <laughs> really squeaky bum time. And I think it will be every bit and more against Iran. So I think that basically maybe England sort of, you know, narrowly win 1-0, 2-1, something like that. And look, I fancy Wales to beat United States. You know, basically have a look at the United States. I think that they, you know, the managers have been under a bit of pressure. They don't like, they don't, you know, I spoke to him a few weeks back and he was saying we, we maybe have one player with big tournament experience. You know, Pulisic is our leader and our inspiration. That it's a young squad building for the future. I think they're going to be up against it this time. So I think that, that Wales could win that game. And I think maybe it might be Wales that sort of kind of, you know, if, if they win better than, than England, it might be Wales sitting pretty on top of the group, which will really throw a cat amongst the pigeons. Yeah. I, I think for, for my part, I, I agree with John. I think England will win, will win and win narrowly. I, I don't think they'll concede. So I, I think... It will, I think, probably one nil, maybe two nil for England. Um, and Wales and the US, I think, will draw. I think, I think that'll be a draw. It is a young squad, but it's a talented squad. The US, um, and again, in 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 these conditions, it will be. Um, I think that will that will help against Wales. I just see those two teams cancelling each other out. Um, so England's the top of the group. Yeah, it's a huge game. I think that that's. I, I think I mentioned it on the last edition of this podcast. I think Wales against the United States is almost like a World Cup final for those two sides because ultimately each of those is going to be vying. I think for second place behind England, and if you can get a three point jump on your direct uh, opponent, then that's going to be you know a huge advantage uh, once these uh, groups are being tallied up at the end. Anita, what about you? Um, how's this group going to look at the end of the at the end of this match there? Um, I'm pretty much with you. I'm I literally, if I if I can be as biased as possible towards England, I would. So, England to finish on top, most likely going to be Wales to come in. I'm um, second. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything between Iran and USA because I'm not too sure. I, I would have to see how Iran play against us on Monday to kind of depict who comes third or if Iran can even sneak into the second um spot. But I do hope that the boys can do it for us, and I do hope that we do get that all important first slot. Um, I'm not too sure what the route is to to the final, but I'm not. I can imagine if we get second place, um, our you be playing Netherlands. Yeah, and Netherlands. I. I Netherlands. So we're looking at Senegal or Ecuador more than likely in the second round if they top the yeah. group. Yeah, I'd, I'd prefer that. Personally, I would prefer that. And Senegal without Sadio Mane as well would probably be a bit more tastier for England and to get to that quarterfinal. So yeah, I'm hoping at the start of the um, first match we could be top, hopefully. But yeah, thanks Peter for asking me. <laughs> you never get asked I never get asked anything so I'm just like okay thank you for my one question of the day I appreciate you no I'm just I'm just playing but 
Guys, everyone watching, everyone listening, make sure you are subscribed to our content. Make sure you are following each and every one of us. John and Andy will be joining us from Qatar. I think that's so exciting, by the way. And I can already see that they're getting a little bit of a tan already. Just well, out there. Do you see the glow, Peter? You can see the glow. <laughs> Maybe for Andy. No, I'm still waiting for the They were on the sunbeds before they left in Egypt. <laughs> Living their best lives. No, but honestly, make sure you tune in with us. And next week, when we come back, to dissect the England Iran match and again we'll see you guys all later.